now arriving downtown Santa Monica Station. Hey, Adam. It's time for Notes on Your Notes. I'm Adam Lesser. And I'm Joshua Townsend Zellner. Welcome to another episode of Notes on Your Notes, a podcast about the creative process and storytelling. Josh and I are in uh, the same time zone for the first time in three months, Um, but uh, we still managed not to be in the same room. (laughs) Because, Because someone is down in San Diego. San Diego, Diego, Diego. It's interesting, you... You spent a bit of time in San Diego growing up, did you? Like you would go uh, yes. to it occasionally. Absolutely. Right, oh, I, I'll, I'll use I'll use things that you guys. Ob. <laughs> so, ocean, oh, Be- ocean, ocean Beach. Yeah. <laughs> PB Pacific Beach. Pacific Beach. I'll, I'll never forget the first time I went to Pacific Beach. I was seeing I was going down the main road. I think it's called Garnet, and it was like BB PB liquor, and then PB videos, and PB whatever, right? Ice cream, and I'm like, that's so weird. Why are they calling everything PB here? Like this PB guy really, really owns yeah. the town. Yeah, like, what is that about? And yeah. I was, and then I was like, oh right. I felt it was so sad. All, all that college education just <laughs> <laughs> couldn't fix that problem. Oh well. <laughs> uh, it's interesting because they talk in Southern California about the uh, Orange Curtain, the line between Los Angeles County and Orange County. And I grew yes. up in Los Angeles County mostly from the age of eight on, and mm-hmm. uh, I've been to San Diego like three times in my life. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. it's weird. It's one of these places that I know is there, and it's not that far, but we never really went. <laughs> I know it's there. I've seen pictures. I mean, La Jolla. Who doesn't love La Jolla? It's beautiful. I've been like once in my life. Yeah, I know. My, there are a lot of South Africans who live there. You know, my, oh. I'm, my mom's South African. I was born yeah. there. And they, apparently, what I have been told mm-hmm. is that it reminds them of Cape Town on the beach, green, yeah. and that's why they all like it. Uh, but it's also apparently really beautiful. So, uh, so Adam, I've been thinking about something you said the other day, uh-huh. and it's been kind of bothering me. And can I can I share it with you now? Tell me. Well, you said that thing of like, you know, you never. It's not truly never, but it just shows old pain, and I appreciate that. You never share stuff like that other people don't know about you or whatever. And so I really took that to heart, just so you know. And I thought about it and I thought about it. And I thought, you know what? There is something that... It's not even like I keep it a secret because it's not like I keep it a secret, but it's something I never think about. But it's true, and I'll, and I'll share that now if you want me to. Yes. Okay. Drum roll. I'm so excited. I yeah. feel like... I'm like, what is he going to say? Is Josh like a secret MMA guy? <laughs> like, does he... Is he playing Fortnite on his computer? Like, is he a gamer? Like, yeah. like oh, that's why he's up till 3 a.m. Yeah, that's, that's I have, the I have real a funny reason. story about that, actually. Oh, well, go Before. ahead. All right. Okay. This is an addiction story. There was a period a long time ago where um, I was answering the phone at a record label, <laughs> speaking of things people. So I needed, like, this was a long, long time ago where I needed to do something. Uh, I was probably in a little bit of a rut. And anyways, <laughs> I'm at this record label answering phone for like record exec people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the head of the label doesn't come in one day. And uh, I'd kind of always noticed that he was coming in late, like 
midday and i was like oh he's a record guy he's probably out drinking doing a little blow at night like whatever mm-hmm. guy comes in late it's mm-hmm. his company coming at one it was coming one in the afternoon he comes in at one in the afternoon anyways this is kind of I, i'm not naming names so um <laughs> the hr head of hr comes to me one day and says you're uh, you don't have to route calls to the ceo he's taking some time off you know he's taking some personal time okay. so i was like okay cool I'm like, okay, I figured he's going to rehab, like, whatever. It's totally finally caught up to him. So one of the other people works there, you know, talking, it comes up to the front desk. And so, and she says, you know, so you heard about Mark? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Mark, not his real name. Uh, you heard about Mark? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, I heard he's not, co- you know, not to route calls. I just assumed, you know, he's taking care of something in his personal time. And, She's like, yeah, you know, obviously he went to rehab. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I what I figured. And they were like, I was like, yeah, you know, like, I guess the record producer life, you know, too many late nights, a little bit of blow. And they're like, no, nah, it wasn't that. I was like, what? What is it? And they're like, World of Warcraft, bro. <laughs> and I was like, what? I was like, he was going home and playing World of Warcraft, the online game, to like five in the morning like and then just like doing whatever stimulants to stay up probably spending money on some crazy sword that he bought online for like some fake like digital sword for like a for like probably paid a thousand dollars for yeah oh. it's a real thing oh my god i had no idea there's gaming yeah there's world of warcraft rehab there's gaming rehab south korea has internet rehab now you can go to rehab for the internet addiction to the internet that is so now do they offer these courses online Ho, ho! <laughs> How wild! I had no, I, I had no idea. So I'm guessing Joshua's not gonna share with us that he's a secret gamer. I'm not gonna share. I had no idea that that that, that was going on. Wow, that's such a trip. Uh-huh. I never, I, I would never even think of. But yeah, it makes total sense. If you can't control a certain behavior and it takes you over, then that's addiction, right? I think about that a lot. Like, what is the definition of addiction? And I, I guess it is something. There is actually, from what I've heard, there's actually no definition. It's a personal decision, but ideally it is a compulsive behavior that you are completely unable to stop of your own volition. I, I would, I, yeah, I, I, right. I, that resonates with me. Yeah, it's, a, it's like if, if someone says, you know, I never want to do that again, and they wind up doing it, like that opens the door to what I would consider addiction. And then usually in our society, we measure that, is there a negative consequence? It's like alcohol is easy. You're like you're hurting people. You can hurt yourself. Um, other stuff, it's, yeah, is if you have a lot of money and retail shopping is your thing, is that a negative consequence if you're just buying stuff? Right. It's encouraged, in fact. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's supported in our culture. Right. But for some people, it plays that numbing out feeling, that high. Yeah. You yeah, know? and so that goes under the radar because it's like, oh, well, you know, Macy's needs your business, so therefore you're employing people. Yeah. You know, there's justifications for your behavior. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so here... Right. So here I went on a major oh, but, but it, it was so worth it because I had no idea that there was that going on in terms of the world of addiction. So mine wasn't addiction as such, but... Ooh, look at that. It was not <laughs> addiction, but... Um, growing up... Um, I had a stutter. Whoa. 
Yeah, and, and it just came up in conversation the other day, and I was talking to someone, and that's what their response was. Like, really? Like, you? You're so articulate. And I'm like, yeah, me. And, and I still... Um, anyway, so it was so bad. How bad was it? It was so bad that I was like, um, what was it? Mm, third, fourth, fourth, fifth grade. Fourth, fifth grade was probably where it started to you know, be more overt. Um, I actually uh, was called into the office always not a good sign. And some lady was there and she showed me these um, cards that had black ink on them. So that's... Black ink on them? Like like Rorschach yeah, tests or what? Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, so they were going to psychoanalyze you to try to figure out what the psychological basis of your stutter was? I guess. Was? They didn't get permission from any... any Like, my parents didn't, like, agree to that because they wouldn't have agreed to that. Um, uh, and, yeah, I just remember going into the... And then they go, what do you see in this painting or this thing or whatever? And, and then... Um, and uh, I remember people having concern about it. Um, and I used to talk really fast. Well, I still talk fast sometimes, but I used to talk so fast, people would go, what'd you say? What'd you say? Like that. So between my stuttering and my f uh, fast talking, um, you know, I, I challenged, challenged. And it was present all the way, th you know, through uh, college. Through college? It's interesting, because I think of you as quite confident in your elocution. Mm -hmm. Like you speak from a, from a solid base, particularly when you're teaching. Mm -hmm. And... What was the, was there anything you did that ultimately stopped it or did it, you just, did it just stop of its own volition? Well, I, I guess one could say it stopped of its own volition, but you know, I did a lot of work. I did, you know, I did technical work on my, on my voice and I, one of the things I teach in class all the time is mental and physical relaxation. Gee, I wonder why, um, you know, mm. because it gets coming out of my own personal experience, but, um, uh, what was the, I don't I don't remember really a moment where I I didn't stutter. It was it was sort of a gradual thing. So I, I really I, I would say it's an accumulation of all the things I did, and, and not to be vague, but it was just sort of like over the years I did a lot of stuff, both both um, inside on the inside level and on the technical side. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, because some people just grow out of it. Some people need. I guess whatever treatment, but I don't know. I had one friend in college who was really brilliant who occasionally stuttered. And the only thing I remember him telling me is that like the therapist told his family not to interrupt him when he was speaking because it like stressed him out and would make him more likely to stutter. Mm -hmm. I, I can relate, I can relate Anyways, to that. He's fine. he's fine now. Okay. He's some fancy philosophy professor. Oh, in that's interesting. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. fine. He's fine. So, so was there anything else that you wanted to share about like some of those things that? Okay. Well, that was all a setup for me to come clean about an aspect of my life that I don't really talk okay. about much. But I'm starting. You to talk can start about off with "Forgive Me, Father," if you want. Yeah. Forgive me, Father. So, God, how long ago was it? About a decade ago, I started studying a system of acupressure called Chi Touch Healing. And I hold sequence of points, energy points on my body or other people's bodies. I do it, uh, they're energetic balances and they're usually around a goal and they involve intentions and goals and rewiring emotionally. So it's basically a non-cognitive, non-talk approach 
to something therapeutic. And I knew that I had sort of was interested in non, in body-based approaches, what they call in the therapy world somatics, from the word soma, meaning body. And it's a sort of a big emerging pathway in therapeutic worlds because as wonderful as cognitive behavioral therapy is uh, and all the traditional talk psychotherapy modalities, there's this growing trend of working directly to the body. And this interest has mirrored sort of the rest of my life I've done in other realms. Um, So I do that. I do that work. I love doing that work. I love helping people feel better. And the reason Josh and I are not recording in the same room is because I'm at a conference right now for uh, the educational kinesiology folks uh, in San Diego, which is their international conference. There are people here from Australia and Germany and all over the world. And uh, there are all these brain gym is a form of physical movement, body-based work. You do a sequence of movements that integrate the brain, that retrain the brain, and um, you do them, they're often used in the learning setting. And so for me, I care about it because I apply them both to people I'm trying to help, but also to writing and creativity and use it with creative people who need help. So um, I guess that I, th- I guess it's this other part of my life because I think some people think of me as this like guy who comes from, worked at NBC News and wrote about the environment for five years. And it's kind of this like... Ergoic, linear, analytical <laughs> person, mm-hmm. person, as Deborah Silverman, our guest yeah. last week, informed yes. me. Highly uh-huh. analytical, uh, but I guess I have this other part of my personality, which and 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 you're good with numbers. Another, good with and numbers. and you know, I mean, and in some ways, I must be like your shadow side every time I talk about sound baths and new moons and full moons. You know what I mean? It's sort of like it's the shadow side of you, which is now being emerging. So it's. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It is interesting because, <laughs> yeah, I, I give Josh a lot of shit about that, but then I also have my ah. secret. I'm kind of like the closeted gay man who makes fun of other gay men. Right. What do they call it? Gaydar? Yeah. You, you have strong gaydar. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just like I, t- I make fun of Josh, but then I have my secret, which is like, I got to run home and do an energy balance. So. <laughs> Cross patterning. Yes. Um, and one of the things I'm talking to the folks, well, I spoke to the folks about something today, which involved the work Joshua does, which I like, and uh, was all about how I think the, the teaching of writing and creativity and art should mm-hmm. change and it should become more movement based. So if you're sitting down to work on a script or paint or write a poem, there are ways of working through physical movement first. So when you ultimately sit down to do that, um, you write from a different place, a different place in your brain, a different place in your body. Uh, and I did an exercise around sound and movement and then one called repeat. What is it called? Uh, repeat and change. Repeat. Yeah, repeat it's, change. it's like a mirror cycle. Like you're saying, you do a mirror cycle and then you change it. Yeah. Yes. It was a mirror. People stood up. They did a sound and a movement. Then someone mirrored it back and then did a new movement. Good thing I, re- I was really ready to teach it considering I didn't even know it was called. <laughs> Anyways, Joshua taught me that. <laughs> that and uh but and then on on saturday i'm gonna I'm gonna talk about what it is to live in heart space and we're gonna do a heart balance and what it means to both create 
approach your creativity and your work from a heart space of, of calm, but also in personal relationships, romantic, familial, friendship. And then also one of the things we'll talk about is how the heart relationship oh, to nice. nature. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, trying to, trying to expand this notion of heart beyond romantic mm-hmm. love for sure, um, beyond our relationship and connection with the world. Wow, that was like, I just did like five minutes on my show. I love it, and it flowed so beautifully. And, and how, it, how it helps all of us is, is like you just talked about opening up your heart space, and that's like opening up that heart space as the creator, so as the writer, the actor, the performer, you know, whatever that creation is. But see, the, the, but the, the embodiment needs to be there, the somatic, um, needs to be there in relationship to um, the narrative as the artist, because the artist then has to the, go back and uh, and recreate the close-hearted. Otherwise, there's no um, there's no growth, mm-hmm. we're not, the, which is the, the essential part of the narrative. So only someone, not only, but it helps when someone already is already has completed the end of the narrative, the end of the story, so they can go back and write the beginning with a closed heart, so they can become the open heart. But the person who writes it is actually open-hearted. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if I were going to write, like, an autobiography, we would start with my closed <laughs> icy heart at the beginning of the story. That's right. Icy. I like that. Icy. <laughs> and then yes. through transformation and relationship and some excellent yes. scene writing, I would slowly uh, be yeah. transformed into my open heart. <laughs> but as the writer, I would have to have the consciousness of both an open heart and a closed heart. To wow. Character. Wow, that's so succinct. Yes. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is, it's not that I personally don't believe that technical craft needs to be learned. It does. I do. Like, for sure. I spent long, long time studying technical things, like um, like voicing, like, uh, mm-hmm. like structure, uh, like etymology of individual words god i remember i had a class in college where we literally just did histories of words like i would take a shakespearean sonnet and just look at the history in the oxford english dictionary of that word it's not that i didn't do those technical things and i'm not saying actually everyone needs to do Mm -hmm. that to be able to write but there are technical things but then there's this other thing which is that if you are resistant and you're stuck in your head and you're not in touch with other aspects of your being, like your heart space, your willingness to be vulnerable, your range of what you're going to be able to express yeah. will be more limited, even yes. if you have technical ability. Yes. And, and that's, and that's so, the beautiful part about to, it. That's why it's an art and a science. Is it's a merging of both. And it, it emerges, haha, here we go, it emerges through the merging of both. Yeah? Yes. That's right. And you want to you be mm-hmm. able to do both. Yeah, you, you want, want to have, have range. range. And my personal take on this right now is somewhere between 20 and 30% technical and, and 80 to 70%, 70 to 80% um, availability. I've always wondered about that because, you know, you and I come mm-hmm. from different worlds. I come from more, not, not yeah. sharply, but like I come from like a mm-hmm. stricter writing training. You had formal mm-hmm. education in theater. And I think of theater as so, there's such a strong technical mm-hmm, ability mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm. form, right? Like, if you can't do elocution, if you can't do mm-hmm. Shakespeare, um, if you can't technically mm-hmm. move your body in certain ways, like, it's really hard to do. Class, I'll go classic theater, absolutely, yes. Yeah. Um, 
But you would say even once... I'm just curious from your perspective, because I think about it, I'm like, I could never be an actor because I can never do elocution. I can never do the technical things to do an act. Do you think that it's harder... Or what's the difference between teaching like the technical aspects of theater and then the what you call the availability, the being in your body, the the inner life, and the feeling of a character? Like, what do you right the the, the sense and sensibilities? Right. Um, the sense and sensibilities is is the fun is the fun part. It's the part that takes lifetimes with an S. Lifetimes is in terms of curating and acknowledging and massaging and. It's the art. That's the art part, and then there's the journeyman, technical technician. Uh, what else do you want to call it? That part, which I would say it takes anywhere from, depending upon what you're going to be doing, three to ten years for the technical part, and after that, then it's just it's just uh, an ongoing development of the artistic creative Wait, sensibilities. Did you put a time frame around the sense and sensibility, or do you believe that's always ongoing? Oh, the sense and sensibilities is is always uh, that's an open ended system and it never stops. And uh, the technical training, and I'm not saying t- you don't you can't continue to train technically, but at a certain point there's there's diminishing results or or diminishing needs. So if you're going to be doing, uh, if you want to be a Shakespeare actor, then yeah, or if you want to be an opera singer, then yeah, there's there's ongoing technical skills that need to be upkept. Um, but if you're not going to be doing something from the classic theater or something that's highly technical, where there's there's a demand on the instrument, then then you know you're going to move more towards uh, an, an organic approach. So can I just also ask you on that level, like, because I am so ignorant about theater, but if we think of some, like more modern playwrights, like Arthur Miller but, or but, Pinter but, but, or but those guys. But this isn't even has to do with theater. This has to do with with all of entertainment. This has to do with it. Can, it has to do with film. It has to do with with anything that's either performed with um, a technical a technical requirement or a classic. You know, right. non non every non every day. Because if if because there there's also accents like you have to have you have to be proficient at an accent you have to be proficient at speaking at speaking in a certain way if you're doing something from 1850 and you want it to be accurate. Stuff like that. For a contemporary play or a contemporary yeah. TV show, yeah. I'm just curious. What are the technical requirements for an actor? Or are they non-existent because you're really at that point, it's really just about your sense and sensibility and your internal life and bringing that to life on a stage? Or are there still aspects of the technique that you have to know? Every single actor that I can think of that people look as as a career actor, a journeyman actor, someone who has a lot of power. Brian Cranston, for instance. Uh, what's that other guy's name? Um, ben Kingsley. All of these guys are heavily trained actors who have super amazing range and can do Shakespeare. They do Shakespeare. They do opera. They do a wide swath of... of, of of pieces in their work. And so when they do something that's modern and something that has sort of like an everyday common man aspect to it, it carries that weight, it carries that authenticity, it carries that energetic signature that's undeniable. So when you say, you know, can I do something that's, 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 uh, that's of every day that doesn't ask me to have that range? It's like, it's like having a classic pianist play Happy Birthday. 
right. you can tell you can tell there's more behind that happy birthday. That's a good analogy. It's the same thing. It's a great analogy. Well, because I, I, I was even wondering even a more stupid and basic question, which is, what is the technical training? Like, what is, like, if you brought it someone in and you said, hey, I'm going to try to train you technically as an actor, what are you teaching them? Nay, my lord, what ho? <laughs> um, so there's, there, so you, you approach almost everything from a technical aspect. So you actually work with placement of sound in your mouth, and you work on, like you said, elocution. Well, what does that mean? Like making vowel sounds, making consonants. Like, mo I mean, it gets so, it's, anyway. Um, does it like, expand to body movement as well? Uh, it goes more towards form, so that's when you study like ballet and jazz and tap and things like that. But like, like for instance, uh, from a technical level, from a technical level, your emotional life is expressed through vowels, and that to me is just so sad. <laughs> like I feel sad sharing that information, but that's what they really share with you. It's like, okay, so if you want to love someone, like if you want to show that you're in love with someone, as you gaze at them, count their eyelashes. Mm. So that's a technical approach. That's four eyelashes, Josh, as I'm looking at you. Does that yes. mean? Is that, is it, not? <laughs> it means you're still thinking about it, cause, because if you're going to look at me that long, it should be 12. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I, I feel I a little shut short. down. I feel a little shut down, but that's okay. All right. So the reason the, the reason I kind of wanted to just talk a little bit about this technical versus mm -hmm. uh, sort of this craft technique versus uh, emotion, vulnerability, inner life sensibility, what you're drawn to. So, the, so the, the other thing I want to jump in because I know yeah, you're about to say it. something really important uh -huh. is the is that the technical aspects are always appreciated by by the people that are in the same industry, uh, and and the and the non technical aspects. The, the emotional availability, the presence, the sense and sensibilities are identified by everybody, whether they can, whether they can call yeah, them by like name or not. That's like why idiots like me can go, go to opera and enjoy it. Just kidding, <laughs> I never liked going to opera. <laughs> Adam, that was the best. Uh -huh. <laughs> so even just to bring it back to what I am talking to some of the folks here about, uh, I can write in a in a conference paper or in a manual, the actual technical steps, the points to hold, mm -hmm. how to set the intention. But until it's an actual lived experience and you have someone on the other end of that, not just holding the points, but actually living in their body mm -hmm. and being in touch and mindful of their really their heart and their brain and the brain is which we're retraining. We talk a lot about the limbic system, the mammalian brain, the part of your brain that is receptive to fear and pleasure. And that's, you know, that the part of your brain that needs to feel safe to mm -hmm. do good work. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to show someone techniques. You mm -hmm. have to actually show people the connection, which is why we're talking about heart balances because heart balance is all about connect connectivity mm -hmm. connection. So um, it's just that. It's that in our interpersonal relationships, we can't always just be technical. It has to be what we feel. Mm -hmm. And we know this sometimes when we do something that is technically nice for someone, but we don't feel it. Yeah. It's like, in fact, we might feel something else. <laughs> you know, it's like when you, uh, you give an obligatory gift, for example, on Valentine's Day. 
you did. I thought I thought we were going to talk about your personal life again, Adam. Come on. What's I've that never given an obligatory gift on okay. Valentine's Day. Okay. I never give gifts on Valentine's Day, so there. Oh. Uh huh. Yes. Uh huh. Um, I, that's my analogy. Where you're, sh- you're showing up technically, where you're showing up and doing, like you just said, obligatory, that, that which you're supposed to do. And the problem is, is that we were, were, were enculturated, enculturated to a point in our lives where sometimes we can't even find that line anymore. Like, we're so obligatory, we can't even tell when we're being obligatory. Yeah. And that's really sad. Um, and I totally hear what you're saying about that thing. Of you can learn all the stuff that you want in medical school all day long. And at a certain point, bedside manner is what they call it. If, if you don't have bedside manner, what's the point? It's so interesting. You look at there are studies showing that the longer a doctor spends with a patient, the better the outcome. Mm. Just pure time. Mm-hmm. Pure time. Yeah. And it's because my theory is that it's just the longer they spend, the more connected they feel, the more cared they feel, cared for. And that relationship has its own power. Yeah. So yeah, and so you're spending a week a week down there doing uh, heart no, center. No, 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 no. It's just a few days. A few just days. a few days, and, and people from all over the world. So, have you met anyone interesting? Oh, is Harold there from Original Being? Harold, <laughs> the <laughs> chocolate maker Harold <laughs> is not here. Oh. Josh's friend. He's been on the show to talk about the chocolate making process. Uh, I've met some lovely people from Germany and Australia mm-hmm. and all over the U.S. And I haven't really talked to too many people. I hear there are some people here from Asia. Uh, oh, I saw a woman from Puerto Rico and España. That, that, that's Spain for everybody who hasn't been yeah. there yet. Spain. Mm. Well, Adam, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come in and, and hang out with us for a little while. I know you have to get. Oh, I, know you have to, I know you have to get back, so don't want to hold you up. Oh, Joshua, I uh, back in the city of Angels next week. Okay, that sounds good. I'm back. Mm-hmm. Josh and I will be back in the same studio. Yes. He'll probably bring some chocolate. Mm-hmm. I'll have too much of it and feel my heart palpitate. Uh, and it'll get weird. So that's what you guys pay for. Oh, and check our, uh, our Facebook page because I just posted an article that I uh, that they pulled a couple quotes from our, my interview with them. And they're in the article. So there's a link in the Facebook page. Check it out. Wonderful. Check it Quoted. out. Quoted. Yes. Also, last minute uh, friends of San Diego, because as we've been talking about San Diego, Joshua, Monday night, mm. you're teaching? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be teaching at the Soul of Yoga in Encinitas, California. Um, so check us, check me out there. It's going to be a really fun uh, writing jam session. It's going to be embodied writing, or better known as somatic writing. <laughs> Um, and it'll be a <laughs> They're both terrible names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just that when I say somatic, people go, huh? And then when I say, yeah, exactly. when I say embodied, at least I get like a little, you know, oh, okay. I think somatic was invented to, by academics to keep people away from it. <laughs> well done. That's my theory. That's my theory. <laughs> well done. And so, and so yeah, so that, that's happening, and there's going to be some really just, it's just going to be a, a really fun, fun time. I can hardly wait to come down. This has been Notes on Your Notes. Go to the Facebook page, Instagram page, like us. You'll get Josh's great updates, all the newest episodes. If you have a question you'd like us to do on the show, notesonyournotes at gmail.com. The sound design on this show and the editing is courtesy of me, and the sound itself is courtesy of Kevin McLeod. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.